Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The gaming industry of today is an absolute hurricane of potential. Multi-million dollar projects greenlit or cancelled every other week. Hype bubbles inflated and burst, tiny indie one-offs suddenly seen by millions, it's what makes it so damn fascinating to be a part of in every single way. All that said though, sometimes it feels like we look back on one spectacular IP that seemed to lose momentum overnight. Franchises like the following I guarantee all of you know and likely played, but like me, missed one specific installment or didn't complete enough to generate interest in a sequel, and it was gone. I'm Scott from WhatCulture.com and these are 10 great video games people simply abandoned. Number 10, Tenchu. Besides Metal Gear Solid, Tenchu is remembered fondly as the other absolutely banging stealth game of 1998. Lightning struck not once but twice with sequel Tenchu 2 and the mighty Wrath of Heaven that borrowed Romeo Must Die's x-ray cams for some brutal stealth kills. All things were going well for Rikimaru and company until Tenchu Z flopped to an insane degree in 2006. Now I will say that I already love Tenchu Z, but shifting a solo stealth game into a group multiplayer experience made the majority run for the hills. Tenchu would never recover, its developers moving on to create Shinobido as a spiritual sequel as main entries became Wii and PSP one-offs, with the occasional puzzle game alongside. Number 9, Dino Crisis. Gamers were blown away when the first Dino Crisis was Resident Evil mixed with Jurassic Park. When the turn of the century saw survival horror take a more action-based turn though, Capcom responded by resting the IP for far too long. Only to ditch a cliffhanger from the close of DC2, zoom us a couple hundred years into the future and set part 3 in space. Yes, it was the Jason X approach. If done right, this could have been dead space with velociraptors, but instead this Xbox exclusive was a mess. Bearing little resemblance to what came before and trying all sorts of jetpack fueled action with the worst camera of all time, this was Dino Crisis in name only. Even the dinos themselves were weird DNA mutations adding to the sorry, what energy of the whole thing. Despite Capcom noting they get asked about Dino Crisis every other year, they're yet to turn anything around. Just saying a Resident Evil 2 remake level reboot would be incredible. Number 8. Zone of the Enders. Look, I love Hideo Kojima's big silly robot series, but it would be fair to say that it only got traction thanks to a demo of Metal Gear Solid 2 coming with part 1. The original Zone of the Enders was short, but it paved the way for something much, much better, the second runner. Whilst visuals of the first game were solid enough, second runner went for a hybrid style of cell shading, anime, and particle effects. The sequel also had a story that whilst not hard to work out, was told over a surprisingly lengthy game. Combat was balletic and beautiful, but for whatever reason, 
reason it just didn't sell, like, at all. Even proud home of mech combat, Japan saw Zoe 2 far down their best-selling charts, and despite Konami putting out ports and remasters to try for another sequel, it's never come together. Number 7, Deus Ex. The original Deus Ex was a benchmark in narrative game design. Like, full-on, I can't believe how many options I have, how much the game is responding to me, and how insanely satisfying it all feels. After a sequel, Invisible War dumbed things down for a wider audience and made everyone think it was a one-off back in the day, eventually we got the mighty return to form that was Human Revolution in 2011. Yes, Adam Jensen felt like a guns, lots of guns seen from the Matrix made into an entire character, but Human Revolution very much worked. When sequel Mankind Divided was announced in 2016, looking stunning by the way, it should have been an easy win. However, in a history repeats itself kind of way, Mankind Divided hit the same lackluster response that Invisible War got. Far weaker sales saw Square Enix abandon plans for a third installment entirely, canning the conclusion to Jensen's story and barely letting anyone from the inside even acknowledge what happened behind the scenes. We can glean that horrific augment your pre-order marketing campaign and a shorter game overall were big factors in a lack of personal recommendations. Overall though, for whatever reason, it seemed people were far more up for the return than the continuation of Deus Ex. Number 6, Alone in the Dark. Prior to Resident Evil popularizing survival horror, Edward Carnby was doing the rounds in 1992. Despite the original looking hilariously cack today, it worked, and we got three sequels before the 21st century ticked over. In a new attempt to gain relevance once again then, gamers were treated to 2001's A New Nightmare, which fully embraced the insanely popular Resident Evil slash Silent Hill approach from the time. Then came 2008's action-focused reboot with EA on publishing duties. It was the first major step in the wrong direction, having notably impressive fire effects, but nothing much else. Completely failing in making the still cool-sounding Alone in the Dark IP matter to a new generation, seven years later, Atari would back 2015's Alone in the Dark Illumination. Now literally a multiplayer game, so not alone, set in a series of super light areas, so not dark either, it heralded the end of the series, and a firm middle finger from fans. Number 5. Breath of Fire. Breath of Fire as a series has always been a critical darling. It didn't take the West by storm like Final Fantasy VII, nor did it come to slowly dominate over time like Yakuza, Persona, or Dragon Quest. Instead, it was just a solid, dependable, recognizably named IP that had its fans. As keeps being the case then, come the need to try something different after a handful of installments, we got 2002's Dragon Quarter. This fifth entry amicably changed everything, and way too drastically, shifting the aesthetic to 3D and adding a ticking death counter over Ryu's head. In retrospect, the death slash restart mechanic is actually quite neat, as more story unlocks after each death. Maybe today you could argue that a Souls-playing audience would respond better to what Capcom were trying, but at the time it was a repetitive, challenging grind that killed the series. Number 4, Death Jam. Like a hype and sales graph having its final third torn off, the sheer severance from Def Jam Vendetta through to the phenomenal fight for New York into the flat heartbeat monitor noise that is Def Jam Icon is one for the ages. The first Def Jam fight in game Vendetta was a great attempt to take the overblown personalities of various rappers popular at the time and put them in a wrestling game made by the guys who just did WWF No Mercy. Understandably, especially for the early 2000s, it was ace. Fight for New York then expanded things 
settings into more of a freeform brawler with wider environments, crowd interactions, weapons and cinematic finishes. And I still maintain it hasn't aged a day. Shifting nearly 2 million copies and solidifying that this is the best hybrid of all-out fighting with sports entertainment bombast, it was clear fans wanted more of the same. Instead, EA stepped in even more, waited 3 years and gave us Def Jam Icon, a turgid, slow-moving abomination where you now had to attack on the beat. Every single thing about playing this felt horrendous, as all charm from the previous games was surgically stripped out. No more overblown caricature kayfabe versions of rappers, customization was massively restrained, gameplay was barely there, and a washed out visual effect made millions of us turn off the franchise for good. Number 3. Siphon Filter The Metal Gear Solid vs Siphon Filter debates were great fun, though in retrospect the latter had almost nothing to do with what Hideo Kojima was putting together. Instead, Gabe Logan's adventures were way more about staying on the move while ventilating scores of goons. And after two awesome sequels on PlayStation 1, many waited with bated breath to see how the IP could rival the likes of Metal Gear Solid 2 or 3. Well, it ended up making all the wrong moves. 2004's The Omega Strain received a thoroughly met response, deviating from what fans loved and not even letting you play as Gabe Logan. We then had the franchise sacrificed to the PSP gods as Sony needed something first party to shift hardware. Home console versions of Dark Mirror and the genuinely incredible Oh My God So Overlooked Logan Shadow did come to PlayStation 2, but they were then viewed as crappy ports from a system being eaten alive by the Nintendo DS and it all fell apart. Number 2. Ninja Gaiden Ninja Gaiden was very much the Dark Souls of its day, the game you recommended knowing it would only be finished by a tiny percentage of players. Fair at times, largely punishing for the rest, it was still a decent challenge with beautifully animated combat. Sequel Ninja Gaiden 2 failed to hit anywhere near the same way though. Combat was largely more of the same, but levels were a notable mixed bag, with performance hitching in scenarios where the original would be liquid butter. Ninja Gaiden 3 then made the cardinal sin of taking away that signature challenge and reward that still had propped up part 2, in an attempt to rein in more players. It failed in every way. Ryo Hayabusa was a far less capable character, with boring pacing being thoroughly off-putting. 2014's Yaiba Ninja Gaiden Z was even worse, and the series would lie dormant until 2021's master collection of remasters tried to defibrillate some life back in. And number 1, Splinter Cell. Yes, this is finally getting a remake, but one, it'll be a Christmas miracle if Ubisoft don't screw it up, and two, the path to get here is pretty unique. Because Splinter Cell is one of those franchises that the more it lost its core identity, that slow burn methodical stealth of the originals only brought in better sales. Fans decreed the auto group killing animations introduced in Splinter Cell Conviction, but that game sold the best since the original, even beating the mighty Chaos Theory. With Splinter Cell Double Agent formally taking things into a more story heavy direction anyway, 2013 2013's Blacklist ditching Michael Ironside in favour of Flash Gordon's Eric Johnson led to a full-on fan revolt. Blacklist would sell well, but it left the IP at a fundamental crossroads, both with old-school fans versus that newer mainstream appeal and Ubisoft's burgeoning dedication to open-world design, fast being stapled to every single IP they owned, including even the crew. Almost nine years would pass, with Ubisoft taking the role of remaking the original as a way to placate everyone, though the jury's out on what the hell Splinter Cell even is 20 plus years later. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.